when you're new to lifting, you're going to get a certain amount of uh, muscle gain and fat loss at the same time. However, the more advanced you get, the harder it is to achieve both at the same time to any measurable degree. And when it's very hard to measure something, it's very hard to manage for it. And then it's very hard to stay motivated. Welcome to the Wits and Weights podcast. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and this twice-a-week podcast is dedicated to helping you achieve physical self-mastery by getting stronger, optimizing your nutrition, and upgrading your body composition. We'll uncover science-backed strategies for movement, metabolism, muscle, and mindset with a skeptical eye on the fitness industry so you can look and feel your absolute best. Let's dive right in. Wits and Weights community, welcome to another episode of the Wits and Weights podcast. Today, I'm honored to sit down with none other than Andy Morgan, the passionate, knowledgeable, and well-muscled force behind RippedBody.com. Originally from the UK, but living in Tokyo, Andy's carved out a very clear path in the crowded world of fitness, and I've learned a ton from his books and online content, which is why I had to invite him on the show. Today, you'll learn about Andy's experiences, his no-nonsense approach to fitness communication, and his thoughts on training, muscle building, and fat loss phases and maybe some related topics like body fat percentage, scale weight fluctuations, and challenges during fat loss. Andy will also share his insights on the fitness industry using data and principles to get results. Andy Morgan is a fitness coach, author, and entrepreneur who has been helping people achieve their physique goals for over a decade. He works with busy working professional men who are recreational physique-focused trainees, and he uses a simple but data-driven effective approach with them. In addition to his website, RippedBody.com, he co-authored the hugely popular Muscle and Strength Pyramids and wrote the Diet Adjustments Manual for eliminating guesswork during cuts and bulks. What I really appreciate about his content is how he simplifies complex concepts, but uses data to back everything up while calling out the nonsense in the fitness industry with a healthy level of skepticism. Andy, it is a pleasure, man, to welcome you to the show. Philippe, thank you. Honored to be on. And frankly, I, I would love to hire you to walk into every room 30 seconds before I walk into that room just to announce <laughs> uh, to people uh, quite who is walking in. I didn't realize how, how important and special I am. And now I do. And, uh, you know, I've got all those warm, fuzzy feels. That, that's what I wanted, man. I wanted that warm, fuzzy feeling with you to really break the ice. Um, and it's funny because we talk, we were talking about the, inter, the uh, intros to the podcast beforehand. Some people read them live, some people record them. And I learned years ago when trying to do speeches with people, how important it was to introduce them live. And so I like to carry that uh, spirit into a podcast. Yeah, you make a good point there. Um, I am currently on a break from my pod, but I think it works super well. And I'm going to switch to that style as well. Actually, there's a couple of things that I've picked up from listening to your podcast that I'm like, huh. Yeah, that really? works better. Really? Yes. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. That's great. All right. Because I'm telling people, man, that I've, I've kind of been idolizing you for a bit since I got into your work years ago. And <laughs> I, I invited you on. I'm like, I got to have Andy on. That'd be awesome. And uh, so that, that makes me feel, feel warm and fuzzy, by the way. So here we go. It's a love fest on the show. Um, <laughs> all right. So it, it, speaking of one of the things that appeals to me about you and how you communicate mm -hmm. is you get right to the point. And I... I think the first time I was exposed to your work was, the, it used to be called The Last Shred, right? And now it's the Diet Adjustments Manual. Yeah. I had it on Kindle or something back in the day. Um, and I had no idea how to control my results. And some of the stuff you broke down very simply, do this, here are the steps, here's some stick figures that explain who you are, <laughs> and here's some graphs that tell you uh, how it works. 
people overcomplicate things all the time, right? And that was refreshingly the opposite. So how did you get to this point and develop that unique style that you have? Mm, um, <laughs> that's quite a tricky question. Well, ultimately, I've, I've always been writing for myself. But at this point, my uh, early 20s self, it's the stuff that I wish I knew written in a way that I that would have resonated with me. Um, and now as I've gotten older, the the way that that would have resonated with me, the language has changed slightly. Um, but it's always been about trying to simplify and save myself from the uh, the, the vast, vast amounts of nonsense out there in the fitness industry. So I want people to stumble across the website and feel ah, home. Ah, wonderful. Someone who's not just trying to trick me out of my money. Someone who doesn't have a little supplement sell at the end. Now, I'm not saying that all supplements are nonsense but the vast majority are. And so if I were mm-hmm. to start selling one, then all of a sudden you're going to question my credibility for all of them, so I don't. And, you know, they can read the website. Yes, they could purchase a book if they want to get pretty much what is on the website, but with in a more organized fashion. Um, and that would be worth their, their time and money, and a lot of people um, feel so. But, you know, it's all free. All the results are here from different clients over the years. And then if these are the client results that I have, then obviously they can imagine that there's probably 10x more readers and there are that have had similar results. And then there's a very non-in-your-face, look, if you're interested in coaching, go here. This is what I do. So mm-hmm. I've tried to make it all about helping uh, myself back then um, not go through all of the crap that I went through in my physique struggle um, to get where I am now. Mm. It's like the mentor that I wish I had. That's kind of the approach that I've tried to take to it. Okay. Okay. Which is probably that why I get the feeling when I go to your website, like this is just right there. Like the information is there. There's nothing I have to wade through. I don't have to go and click a million links. I don't have to uh, figure out what you're talking about. Probably your original book appealed to me to appeal to me that way as well. And, Maybe it's why a lot of us do what we do. Like with this podcast, you know, I I went through years and years, four decades of not knowing. And then it's like, ah, I've learned from guys like Andy and others. Like it's just simple principles that you can apply, you know, lift heavy, you know, be consistent, whatever they are. And I want to help people get that shortcut. So it sounds like you're doing that uh, as is evidenced by the white space on your site and the clear information. So I love that. Thank you. When we talk about evidence-based fitness and nutrition science and research, that some of that is where it can get very overwhelming. Even though there's great information and great work people are doing, how does that reconcile with the idea of providing simple, simple, actionable advice? Like, why should people trust you that you are telling them the truth, so to speak, because you're cutting all that other fluff out? Why should people trust me? That's a difficult question. May I come back to that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, I think the key is a, the science communicator that I am. I consider myself to be a layer down from my uh, co-author, um, Eric Helms, who I know that you've had on as well. That's the co-author on the Muscle and Strength Pyramid books. Um, he 
sits in between myself and the the actual researchers. And yes, he's he's done research himself, but generally he's a science communicator, uh, translating and explaining um, the latest studies. He's directly reading those himself, he and his colleagues. Between them, they will read something like two, three hundred. Mm-hmm. I may be underdoing it there per month, mm-hmm. scouring well, as many relevant journals as there are out there. And then putting out the most relevant information for us uh, who are chasing our um, physique and a strength and uh, yeah, body comic goals. And so I learned from that as a fitness professional myself, Um, anyone else uh, who's not a fitness professional is welcome to learn from that. But often that content is a little too heavy for the average person to dig into. And so I write for the person, I kind of serve as an intermediate layer, mm-hmm. um, writing for now it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to turn 40 this year. Uh, people my age, generally they're married with kids. They're getting well on in their careers. They're usually doing really well there. They, um, have given their, uh, you know, they give it all to their career and to their family. They've ended up letting their, their physical health slip. And they're far from the prime that they had while uh, they were in college and they want to get that back, but they just, they don't feel they have time or they felt that they're, they feel guilty about giving time to it. And when they have tried to give time to it, they've just kind of got sucked in by different uh, fad diets or um, pills, potions, false promises of the fitness industry. And they tend to often they tend to at some point sadly quit because they just get ripped off or tricked so much and think this isn't mm-hmm. about me. Now, a certain portion of those who are left, they've kept on um, persevering. They come to my website um, or, or, or those or your podcast or, you know, people like us and they're like, ah, okay, well, this is information that is is simple enough for me to apply. It's just a, if this is your uh, situation, do this, do this, do this, do this. A little bit of, of course, contextual language here, you know, uh, explaining for different circumstances, but it's very much a, a how to um, rather than a um, too much of a science dump. Mm. And the way that I try to um, be, let's say, a little different is I try to help people understand the principles of nutrition and training and body comp because it's mainly body comp it's not so much on the powerlifting strength side although Mm -hmm. they kind of go hand in hand as as you know i try to help people to understand the frameworks that go behind the decisions that they can make so that they're then free to make those decisions themselves and they understand why a certain decision is the right decision for them at that time. So what do I mean by that? I'll give um, one quick example of a framework and then one example of how to apply it. A framework might be the nutrition pyramid um, that Eric popularized, I think in a 2013 video on YouTube talking about um, how uh, adherence is obviously the foundational layer of the pyramid. Um, and then as you ascend up the pyramid, the things get less and less important. So after adherence, 
you know, sticking to what you can actually do. Okay. Yep. <laughs> then we've got calorie balance. Then we've got macronutrient intake, then um, micronutrients mm -hmm. and water. After that, uh, nutrient timing. This is your meal timing. Mm -hmm. And then after that, supplements. So this is a framework for thinking of the pyramid of importance. So if you're thinking about what supplements you should be taking, but ignoring calorie balance, well, this is getting, uh, this is putting the, the cart before the horse. This is getting things out of order and you're unlikely to get to where you want to go. Now, um, given that this is the pyramid of importance, at certain phases, at certain points in our life, we may decide to try to implement all layers of this pyramid in a in as rigorous and, and as optimal, quote-unquote optimal, uh, way uh, as possible. However, there will come times, let's say you get married, have kids, uh, have a really busy time at work, where you are just totally unable to then have the perfect, perfectly spaced four meals mm -hmm. um, with your optimal um, morning training session after your perfectly timed um, one hour before protein shake, because otherwise you'd be training fasted. Um, and, you know, you have to then know, okay, how far can I simplify things given my situation without really compromising my results or by compromising my results by the minimal amount? Mm -hmm. Because when people don't know that, they get themselves into this all or nothing mentality, which is the key thing that I try to get clients to avoid. So I've been coaching now for over 12 years. Um, if I see a client who is able to um, do what they can when they can, but accept when they fall short, but still do what they can, not just like be like they, uh, they have the effort mentality. I don't know what your policy is on swearing here, but they're like, uh, I can't do this, so I'm not going to do any of it. Um, uh, there's a breakfast buffet. My family want to eat this breakfast buffet while I'm away. Normally, I don't eat breakfast. So, hell, uh, I'm just going to enjoy this vacation and have my breakfast and I have all of the ice creams. And, you know, they're just, they're, everything goes to hell. Um, if they can, uh, if they understand where they can make compromises um, or make simplifications without um, really compromising, um, their results, then that gives people freedom. And that's what I want. Yeah. I think you explained that very well from the context of having the framework because adherence or consistency, we use words like that and people do conflate that with always on the game, always doing what you have to do every day. And as soon as you mess up, it goes off the rails. So I like how you spoke to your audience, which is also a lot of my audience, and it's me, <laughs> technically. People who are around 40, I'm 42, um, mm. busy, they don't have much time. Let's get real. Like, this is reality, right? You're not going to, uh, like you said, you're not going to work out at 5 a.m. every day, have your carb and protein before and after, you know, have exactly uh, everything, everything lined up. So I like that. So you work, you work with physique-focused men who are already lifting. So yeah. there's sort of a premise that they have some level of understanding or education about that coming in working with, which is good, right? That's like you're carving, you know, who, who, where do you need to be first before I work with you? So I actually want to focus just on the left side of that point just for a second. 
Because on your mm-hmm. site, you say, hey, you can get a personal trainer. You know, I don't work with per- people directly in person. It's an online thing. You have to be lifting. Do you have advice for people who want to seriously lift? They're lacking the information. And what kind of programming resources should they follow to get to that point where you can help them? So I would like to think that those people could come to my website, read it, mm-hmm. implement it, and know exactly what to do. It the coach the coaching is for a more specific niche and part of that is marketing and mm-hmm. part of that is because that's what we I'm good at because that's what we are good at at Rimbody um but they they kind of feed them, have fed themselves over time and it's become a self-fulfilling thing so as I've niched down further and further so it's like only people who lift only people uh, only men only men who are over this age only people who uh, agree to not use their phones uh, when uh, emailing because we do everything over email and you know people come in competent when they're using their phones with email um, it's it's just kind of become we've got better and better and better at this niche and worse at everything else um, but the website I like to think of it as you know day to day when I'm introduced to people I'm, I'm you know I want to be able to say to them oh yeah just go to the website and know that they can be they can get what they need from there so mm-hmm. there's some simple programs on there we've actually got the programs from the muscle and strength pyramids on there we've got a few others for free as well um we've got some simple nutrition guidelines on there um We've got um, guides for form. Um, we've developed some ourselves. Actually, on I have a Japanese website as well. And with the Japanese mm-hmm. team, we, we developed a product for how uh, to bench squat and deadlift. Um, but I've got some free guides on the website. That's sure. ripboy.com slash squat uh, slash deadlift uh, slash bench. And then those are all free. Eric Helms and his team at 3D Muscle Journey, they've got great resources. Uh, uh, they've got something called their lifting library which will mm-hmm. teach you the form of um, pretty much all of the lifts uh, that you'll find in the gym and how to execute them properly, yep. um, which seems obvious, but it can, it's, it's something worth revisiting. Let's say every, if you're new, say every uh, couple of months, and then after that, maybe every year or so, because uh, you can forget. Um, but I've also got a resources section, so ripbro.com slash resources, and you can see my recommended resources and then where uh, for readers and then also where I learn from. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, that's what I'd recommend. Yep, uh, and, yep. and the reason I say that, I say my own stuff, you know, I've kind of poured my heart and soul into that. So sure. it's, no, you can it's really yeah. a natural thing. I can say, yeah, yeah. Okay. My stuff, I can vouch for that. Um, and then, you know, there's so much other stuff that I, could say but uh, you know when you give people too many options yeah Yeah, no that's good and i think um in like one of my very first episodes on this podcast i'm sure i mentioned among a very few select resources one of them being like starting strength and some stuff by greg knuckles and i think i mentioned your like 42 video lifting guide or whatever it is 42 Ah. whatever it is something like that right because i do think it's important that people you know start from where they're at but if they know when to get to a certain point and take advantage of these other resources. They have to have these prerequisites in place. It's kind of like when people talk about just wanting to lose weight or lose fat. I'm like, well, are you training yet? No. What does it have to do with losing fat? I'm like, well, there's a big connection <laughs> between 
you know, body composition and, and training. So I think that's important. Go, going back real quick to the requirements you have, one of those is that people eat meat. Is that also just from the natural process of niching down or is that a more specific thing because of the challenges of working with vegans and vegetarians, like on the protein side? So this is going to sound like a weird one, but there was a time, I can basically remove it now. Um, I would say when it's vegan, things get more complicated. Yes. Okay. Although if someone's vegetarian, it doesn't really matter. Uh, There was a time when I thought that it was uh, a big deal, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem so anymore. Um, Whether someone's... Uh, protein source is going to be uh, animal versus uh, plant-based. As long as they're eating a sufficient amount of protein uh, in total, then well, we're pretty much good. All the research cool. uh, seems to show that they're pretty much good. So yeah, I could I could take that away. There you go, man. So <laughs> <laughs> update update this site. No, that's guy I was wondering because I I've been interviewing guys and talking a lot about uh, plant. I, I just talked to Eric Trexler too because he's all plant-based and just really trying to understand that topic. And you're right, the more and more we find out, it, it is simple. Again, simple principles of just getting enough protein is the big part of the pyramid, right? The other stuff is, is, is gravy, as is icing, if it's even necessary um, for other things like nutrients or, or hard health or whatever. Cool. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, it's yeah. When you know, like the, the kind of, um, when you compete behind the matrix and look at these, you, you know, the different, um, how can I say? You've got the different mental maps. You've got the different layers, the, the principles here. You can kind of see, okay, fat loss, what is that? The, in, the, in the simplest terms, okay, you want to have a calorie deficit, which means that you're um, burning more uh, than you are uh, taking in, whether that's liquids or solids, drinks or food. And so then if you were to have roughly, um, in fact, I'm not even going to go that deep. I'm not even going to talk about the number of calories. So burn more uh, than you take in. And then uh, to tell your body to hang on to muscle mass, the next most important thing is to uh, tell it to hang on to muscle mass with strength training, with some form mm-hmm. of uh, hard resistance training. Um, that's hard enough to tell it that that muscle that you have is uh, important. And the more training experience you have, um, the harder you're going to need, the newer you are, uh, the less you'll need. And then the next layer on that is going to be eating a sufficient amount of protein, getting in enough protein in the day in total. And then the spacing of that protein, the spacing of those calories and where those calories are coming from. Otherwise, that's all much, much, much lower down uh, on the uh, pyramid of import. Oh, sorry much higher up on the pyramid of importance mm-hmm. much smaller. Yep, yep. it means yeah 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 so much smaller much uh, much less important sorry the one thing uh, i needed to mention there in terms of calories is losing weight at an appropriate rate so this yep. is in two ways that's what you can sustain and then that it's um at an appropriate rate for your current level of body fat so if you uh, are carrying a lot of body fat, you can get away with faster rates of weight loss than someone who's, say, sub 10% body fat and going to be stepping on a bodybuilding stage in a couple of months. For those people, they need to be very, very careful about their rate of mm. body fat. So uh, something between 0.5 and 1%. The sweet spot tends to be 0.75 for average folks and then maybe about 0.5% for uh, those who are you know, 
getting very, very lean. And then you can nudge up and down from there uh, based on uh, your mood, um, energy levels, uh, how your sleep is going, hunger, etc. Yeah. And and that's where you start to get into the little extra corner cases that people ask all the questions about, right? Like, but what about me with this? You know, what about mm. this? Um, but it still comes down to principles. So I like the idea of just starting from the basics and then, hey, have you got those down? Because if not, let's not even worry about the rest just yet. But before we get to fat loss, I, one question I wanted to pick your brain on, because I'm not sure I've seen the most clear answer on why this is the case. But when we talk about muscle building, um, and one concept I learned from you early on was stay in that muscle building phase for like five, six, seven months, you know, a decent amount of time. Don't do it for only three months. But break that down for this. Why is why is it important physiologically? Maybe it's neuromuscular, maybe it's hormones, something when you build for six instead of three months. Sure. So I'm not I'm not good at the science. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in the same way that uh however you want uh, to explain it i'm good eric helms is brad schofield is etc yeah, yeah. but um the in broad terms when you uh if we back up for a second when you're new to lifting you're going to get a certain amount of uh muscle gain and fat loss at the same time uh however the more advanced you get the harder it is to achieve both at the same time to any measurable degree and when it's very hard to measure something it's very hard to manage for it and then it's very hard to stay motivated and so you need to then choose between phases of fat loss and phases of weight gain with the goal of mainly muscle gain or rather with the goal of muscle gain which is unfortunately going to entail some fat regain but that's just how it is um now in many cases, that's going to be obvious. Uh, people know whether they need to lean out or bulk up. Um, and uh, there are some uh, cases where it's not. Um, I've kind of written an article all about that. Um, if you just go to ripbody.com slash cut hyphen or hyphen bulk. I've tried to keep all the URLs as obvious as possible. <laughs> so that's that a good one. That's a good one for just... the listener, actually. That's a go-to for sure. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. There's cut hyphen or hyphen bulk. Um, I've tried to keep them simple so that people can just type guess as they type things in. And then if it doesn't come up, then there's a search box. And they can just, just Google type it. In It'll, come up. It'll come up. It'll come up. So then, so then um, what you need to know is that, so let's, you're cycling between cut and bulk phases. But when you end a cut and transition into a bulk, your body, there are some hormonal changes that take place when we cut. And there are some hormonal changes that ha um, kind of reverse um, and also some new ones that happen as we um, move into a calorie surplus. But there's a lag on the timing there. And because there's a lag on the timing there, you can't just switch from a cut to a bulk, do that for three months and then switch straight back into a cut and think that you are having three months of pure highly optimized um, muscle gain period because your, your body just isn't in a, a state where it's um, charged to be gaining muscle just yet. It, it, it can take a few weeks. And so, and, and potentially longer depending on how lean you got and how long your previous cut was. 
And so that's one thing. That's one reason why you want to have uh, longer uh, bulking periods than just, say, a short three months. Uh, the second is muscle gain is exceptionally slow. Um, let's say you're an, you're an intermediate lifter. You're gaining 0.75%, which would be good, actually. 0.75% uh, mm -hmm. um, of your body weight as muscle mass per month. Let's say that you could do that. That might be about a pound of muscle per month. If you were to gain in the two months you have left there, two pounds of muscle, when you cut down again, because you're going to have to cut the fat off that you've gained, are you going to actually be able to notice that difference? Probably not, right? And then it's going to be very difficult to feel that you've that that time that you've spent has been worth it. And so then that's going to be, it's going to have a big chip on your motivation. So you need to spend long enough that you have, that you, you give your body enough time to accrue enough muscle mass so that once you've cut back down again and you've revealed all that muscle mass after you've taken that cumulative fat gain off, you're looking at enough of a difference where you're like, Yes, uh, I've done it. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, you know, like. <laughs> and, and Andy ripped off like it was Superman. Like, you know, he just ripped <laughs> off the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't my intention, but I'll take it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I feel that this was absolutely worth it. So you might say cut for, I don't know, depending on how much body fat you have, it, it could be three months, it could be six months, and then you're going to mm -hmm. move into a bulk phase. And let's say you bulk for only like four or five months. And then you cut the fat off again. Um, it potentially um, could take you just a, a couple of months, but let's say you dick around a bit and it takes you three and a half months because you struggle to get back into it. Well, then now you've spent in that bulk and then cut, you've spent like eight and a half months and you've got maybe four pounds to show, yeah. of muscle to show for it. And you can't really tell because muscle measuring muscle mass is a really tricky thing. Um, yeah, you you it benefits you to have longer bulk phases. Yeah, I and like then, I like the yeah. Go ahead. No, and and then the trick, of course, or the 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 part where people get themselves in a mess is that they they don't get lean enough before they bulk, and so they end their bulking phases or gaining phases. If bulk is a scary word for you, they end their gaining phases too early because they start feeling too fat. And then, of course, they end up in that problem that I just said, where they don't feel that they've actually made a meaningful difference. So very often, um, or rather, one good way of thinking of it is that the, the bulk cut phase should be spent um, at the extremes, at the point where you're feeling on the bulk end, the end of the bulk end, slightly too fluffy. And on the end of the cut phase, slightly too lean for your comfort and you try to just navigate between kind of in waves and between those two uh levels mm -hmm. so that you're never feeling so uncomfortable that you want to that you want or need to yeah. stop so much of what you said is psychological right let's just be honest like only the first point was related to this lag of hormones, getting out of metabolic adaptation, recovering, and moving past that. But the rest of it is so important. And I can attest to the 
and I'm still figuring it out because I've only been doing this for like three or four years myself. And it's like when I get lean, I'm like, am I lean enough? You know, is it how do is this good? I can see the six pack, but like not enough. Maybe <laughs> should I just? Start? But then at the same time, and, and you didn't mention this benefit is I want to be eating a lot of food most of the year. Like let's just be honest, I want to be in a bulk most of the year, and I, that's one benefit I tell people too. Just do you want to be dieting all the time like you have in the past and then struggling or just like three to one, four to one ratio of, of being in a surplus? Um, but, but the point about not being lean enough is good because you, I think you talk about in, in some of your content, like if you first have a lot of weight to lose, you got to get that off and you get, get down to a certain point. Then you're in this range. Now, wh- where's that range for you, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, this is Philip, and I hope you're enjoying this episode of Wits and Weights. If you're finding value in the content and want to stay up to date with all our latest episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast platform. By following, you'll get notified whenever a new episode comes out, and you won't miss out on knowledge and strategies to level up your health and fitness. All right, let's get back to the episode. And before we get there, the muscle building rate of gain. So the the evidence says, hey, 0.1 to 0.25% of your body weight per week, which always seemed pretty tight and precise to get to. And I know we both use Macrofactor now. It kind of helps. But um, I've seen you recommend higher than that for like newer lifters, right? Like 0.4%-ish, something like a one and a quarter, one and a half pound a month, something or for uh, yeah. I, I don't pounds. actually think in terms yeah. of weeks. So I'm I'm having <laughs> okay. you making me do math. Oh, sorry. In so it's like point four to one percent a month. There you go. Point yeah. four to one percent a month. What is your recommended rate of gain based on training age? Let, let's just put it that way. Yeah, sure. So, so I I work with guys. Um, most guys, by the time they come to a bulking phase, they're going to be somewhere between. 140 and 200 pounds, depending on how tall they are, right? And their level of mm-hmm. training experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, say 130, sorry. Uh, it, it could be lower, actually, obviously, depending on height. Of course, you take the extremes of the height range here and the extremes of the um, uh, level of lifting experience, and there are going to be outliers here. But let's say somewhere between 140 and, and 200 pounds. Um, practically, then, what that means is that the the rate of gain that I would recommend is typically somewhere between two and three pounds per month. And this is because I don't tend to work with the really, really advanced lifters. And I don't tend to work with the completely new people. And that two to three pounds a month, um, this is something that is uh, measurable and therefore manageable and something that people can stay motivated for. Anything less than, say, two pounds a month or 0.5 pounds per week is going to be very hard to measure because, of course, of the fluctuations in in weight um, from water, gut, con- gut content, and, and glycogen changes, um, even if you are taking daily averages. And so uh, what does that work out to? About somewhere between 1% and 1.5% of mm-hmm. body weight. Sorry, somewhere between 1% and 2% of their body weight. Yep. And part of that is, you'll notice a difference there. Uh, you've got 0. 0.4, 1% you said per month, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about, well, somewhere double, between 1% yeah. and 2% per month, which is double. Mm-hmm. And that's purposeful because I'm acknowledging that some of the weight that you're going to gain is going to be fat. And if you are to set 
your rate of weight gain at the maximum muscular potential or the sorry at the likely rate of muscle gain if you do everything right well i've never seen anyone only gain muscle so we may as well set our calorie surplus higher so that we've got enough of a buffer there to maximize our potential muscle gain at that time. Yeah. So if you were to only try and gain a pound per month, and let's say that you could measure and manage for that, and technically, yes, you should be gaining a pound of muscle, well, you're probably only going to get half a pound of muscle and half a pound of fat anyway. So just bank on the fact that you're going to get <clears throat> half, half fat if you do everything right. At the best case, half of it's going to be fat anyway. And, um, and, and plan for that and accept that. Now, it, the thing to say to yourself is like, look, just before, um, you know, you were saying, am I lean enough? Well, one way of thinking about this, if you are in that range uh, of what I just said, and you can maybe take a third off of this if you're um, smaller or you're a female. Um, once you're at the point where you think you can bulk, ask yourself, over the next six to seven months, if I were to gain 10 pounds of body fat and 20 to 25 pounds overall, would I be okay with that? And if the answer is no, you may need to get leaner. And of course, you need to modify those numbers down if you are a smaller person. Um, but for the guys I work with, that works out as a fair heuristic. And for some of them, they would not feel comfortable. They can just look back at their photos, you know, previously or their measurements and, and they know. So then they know they need to get leaner. And if they feel that they can because their hunger, fatigue, um, their uh, levels are uh, manageable and their training is still going well enough and their performance is still okay, um, then, yeah, then they'll continue with that. And then last thing, and then I'll shut up. The reason I say 25 pounds, even though I said 10 pounds of fat, and we were talking about a theoretical one-on-one. -on -one. So the reason I said 25 and not 20 pounds there is because we're going to have anywhere from like, I don't know, two to five pounds of water, gut content, and glycogen mm -hmm. regain after to overshoot, they yeah. finish their cut. Yeah, exactly. I, I love it, man. So this is, again, where it's like, decision points. It's decision trees. At least the engineer in me enjoys that. Like, if this, this, if this, this, um, if you're good gaining 25 pounds and 10 of that is fat, then go, then you're lean enough. Right. So, uh, I'm going to, my friend Carl, I hope he's listening. Actually the episode with him just came out today and he's bulking and, and I think he can push it more. So listen to this, listen to this right here, my man. <laughs> and I might change my rate of gain and macro factor myself. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> and really push it. So body fat percentage is another aspect of this, right? Because, uh, you talk a lot about using photos, which is, which, which is, I'll say objective, like we call it subjective, but in reality, it's something you can see change over time. I mean, at least that's my opinion. You also talk about using the Navy uh, calculator, which I found is pretty good for trends. You know, my question is, should we care about body fat percentage, really? Like the number, should we care? And if so, why are most methods pretty much horribly inaccurate and fo are photos still the way to go? Is that your recommendation? So I listened to your buddy, Carl. I listened okay. to that episode, <laughs> part of it anyway, uh -oh. and um, so I, I, I disagree with him on on this one. 
because okay. uh, he mentioned oh, oh, oh we, we got no, some let's hear uh, it. you know i don't i don't like to call i don't call out oh, my guest you know what i'm saying <laughs> no 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 i'm i'm not um nah, i'm not knocking someone one of the pitfalls of using a a body fat percentage uh, measurement device oh the rempo whether, device oh yeah 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 oh i could have called him out on that i hear what you're saying I assume, so yeah. uh, uh, yeah. bioelectrical impedance analysis, I assume yeah. it was, most of these home devices are, it's something where you step onto a scale, they've got some metal plates, it sends an electric current through your body, and it's not actually measuring body fat percentage, it's measuring um, the resistance of a, a current, it's then, um, the Im sorry, the impedance, um, and then uh, based on some clever equations, it's then estimating um, your fat free mass and then based on your scale weight it's then coming up with a number for um an estimation of your body fat unfortunately um hydration status um how um, uh, glycogen status which is how many carbs um, we've eaten recently and therefore how how full our muscles are um uh, how full our guts are with food which is going to change not just whether we've just pooped um or a lot or a little, um, but also the types of foods um, that we've had, because um, we don't eat, well, most people don't eat the same thing every day. Um, and so you're going to have fluctuations in these readings. And so the problem is not only are these machines that we have access to, um, not only are they inaccurate, but they aren't necessarily consistent with their readings either. And so you can be 2% down one day, 2% up in two weeks' time, despite feeling and seeing that your shorts are physically looser. Yeah. Um, it can tell you that you're, you've gained a couple of percentage points of body fat. And because people tend to look at, and of course, Carl, he's a pro, he knows. He knows that that is impossible and he knows that it must be an erroneous reading, but mm -hmm. the vast majority of people don't. Um, they have an idea. Their gut says, well, shit, that's not right. But they're like, no, there's a number on this expensive machine that I paid for and all the marketing says is amazing. And therefore, I have definitely lost muscle and gained fat, is what they tell themselves. And then they get themselves into this mental spiral and maybe they quit mm -hmm. and it's really sad and so i never use any of these devices for clients i don't even recommend they go for dexas uh, dexa scan it's it's expensive um it's a little better um where these devices are useful is in assessing group averages which is essential uh for research and but for the individual, I recommend that we don't use them. I recommend uh, taking weight, taking your weight each day and averaging it and noting that at the end of the week and then noting that across the weeks. Um, Macro Factor will do that for you, mm -hmm. um, which I know you're a fan of. And but you can just literally just write that down uh, in a yeah. in a notebook. Uh, it's, it's and the math isn't hard, right? Or create yeah. a little spreadsheet. Well, and I nerd out on this, and people know it's twenty day exponential moving average. So put that in Excel, you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just um, yeah, yeah. I mean, just that easy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you could do that in your head. Um, and then uh, lost my train of thought. Damn it! Uh, pick me up. Pick me up. About using the. Uh, photos you're saying you, yeah. could, you could use Sorry. the weight scale weight Tracking. and then other measures yeah 
Yeah, so scale weight, note the averages if you want to do it all in your head. In fact, this is how I do it with clients. I don't use a moving average. I just have a look at the their averages across the weeks, and then I know what their adherence to their diets works. They note that in the spreadsheet as well. Mm-hmm. It's a percentage of their total calorie targets for the week. So if they go, say, 10% over, then they'll write 110%. If they were 5% under, they under ate that week, it will be 95%. So I can see mm-hmm. that. And then I've got kind of a report telling me like any occasions where they went off their diet, they um, maybe they had a birthday party or whatever. So then I know that timing compared with the, the numbers. So then I know whether they're likely to be a bit bloated on that day. I'll then have them with their body measurements. Um, I get people to do it in nine places. So their <laughs> limbs, yeah. their um, their limbs when flexed, uh, their chest back measurement, mm-hmm. and uh, their waist, and three places on the stomach. Um, so at the navel, and then uh, three finger widths above the navel, and then three three finger widths below the navel. And that's mm-hmm. because um, fat loss tends to come top down, um, and isn't doesn't come from everywhere at the same time and so with those two things you can or with that combination of things you can capture how your progress is going and then with the photos that's a good idea i do get clients to take them every month you could take them more often than that but i wouldn't base any decisions on what you see in the photos more often than Mm -hmm. that data is really where i put the i put the emphasis on when making decisions and that's just because you know photos uh, even with the same lighting um, and the same time of day, it, it's, uh, it's a bit subjective. Mm. And our mind can play tricks on us. Um, we may be uh, slightly more um, pumped up from a particularly good session, or mm. maybe you had uh, a few more carbs and therefore our muscles are fuller. Or... Yes, yeah, so I, I really like to um, use those uh, scale weight averages and uh, uh, measurement points along with uh, their and nutrition adherence when assessing these things. For sure. Yeah. And the more of this data you have, and it's it's not once you get in the routine, it's not that complicated to make it just part of your habit. Those key data points all come together. If if anyone is missing, you're kind of missing that piece of the puzzle, right? If if you know if a client, if their weight is not moving, well, is it really a plateau or would their body measurements show their waist going down and they're, you know, going through body recomp, things like that, right? Um you you talked one of your reels, you um you talked about scale weight. Sorry, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was, I was yeah, just yeah. going to say, I, I didn't answer your question. Uh, oh. <laughs> and I'm sorry, forgive me for that. I'm, I have happened. a terrible this habit. Happens, of it. It's all good. <laughs> so so b- before we, we come back to that, um, you asked me, like, do I recommend, is it important that people know their body fat percentage? Right. Not really. I think it's most important that directionally they are, they know whether they're making progress towards their goal. Um, but then, you know, you can give descriptions around whether someone should bulk or cut and as part of those descriptions it can be useful to give people an idea of what they might look like uh, when they're considering bulking when they should consider cutting Mm -hmm. and so for that reason i've got an article uh i'll just call it my body fat guide um it's body fat percentage pictures compare your body fat level so ripbody.com slash body hyphen fat hyphen guide. And then I've got a collection of what 7 to 9% looks like, 
what 10 to 11% looks like, what 12 to 14% looks like, 15, 17% looks like. It's all men, unfortunately, because mm -hmm. these were all client photos over the years. But I've got, I think there are, I don't know, something like 50 uh, photos in here of clients so you can see what it's going to look like on different people at different heights, right. at different um, body fat percentages. So then you can compare and get an idea for yourself. And I should caveat, this is all based on my eye. Um, so I'm just kind of giving you an idea of what I think this is like, but hopefully that's helpful when you pair it with like uh, the, should I cut or bulk guide and, and that kind of thing. Sure, but in terms sure. of assessing your yeah. progress, no, absolutely don't need to know it. Um, it. Yeah, I, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a game that's going to, that you can't win and it's going to lead to heartache. <laughs> it's, so. true. it's true. All right. Yeah. And those physique photos are helpful, especially when you have people of different body types at the same body fat percentage can look different. And so you kind of find, you know, where, where's my body type in there? And then you, be, you re realize how delusional you were about what body fat you thought you were. No. So. <laughs> uh, essentially, essentially, like the, the, there's a, the, the golden rule is you are fatter than you think. You uh, and when you finish your first cut, you will be, you will have less muscle mass than you thought. Mm. Sorry. It's, I haven't met a single person ever, ever, uh, that, uh, breaks those, those rules. So when you are in a cut, then let's, let's good segue to this. Um, there's mm. conflicting information about certain things in a fat loss phase, like how to train, right? People think everything has to change in a fat loss phase dramatically, how to train, how do I use cardio? You know, people get complicated with nonlinear dieting strategies. I'm actually doing a training on refeed days. So I understand like that's one of those things, you know, most people don't need them, but some people will. Um, what are some, I guess, questions or misconceptions that come up for you often during fat loss that people could really benefit uh, hearing your perspective on? It could be hunger, it could be psychological stress, whatever, whatever comes to mind. Well, <laughs> so uh, people talk a lot of shit on the internet. And in podcasts. And uh, surprise, surprise, right? And so then the questions that I get are highly varied. So instead of um, answering your question. Okay. <laughs> right, <That's> good. <laughs> I'm, I'm instead going to change this as, what do I recommend that someone does? That'd be all okay. right. Sure. Go for it, please. Okay. So... Um, <laughs> Plus my chain of thought. God, remind me the, the question again. Fat was, loss during a fat loss phase. Just what do you do? Because I was asking about training, cardio, uh, training. Yeah, dieting. of course. Yeah, yeah. So, how should someone think about training? Well, uh, you have fewer calories coming in, so your body has far less potential to um, create muscle while you are now in this calorie deficit. It's compromised your you risk going into a uh, recovery deficit. So you can keep your training program that you used when you were bulking, but you need to be mindful that as you progress into your cut, you may start to feel unusually high levels of soreness. Um, your joints may start to get crankier than normal. Um, you may start to... Um, well, you probably will start to plateau uh, and then potentially regress with your lifts. And when any one of those things happen, you could consider just tapering back the training volume uh, a little. 
Now, you can do this um, on an individual lift basis, or you could do this uh, globally. Uh, I think you should consider a mix of both of these. So let's say that um, you've worked up to, um, I don't know, five sets of bench uh, twice a week when you were bulking, and that was working really well. But as you were cutting, you are now find yourself struggling. Uh, you find that your shoulders have started to get cranky, even though um, you haven't changed your form at all. Uh, you might consider for that exercise to reduce uh, the number of sets that you do to mm-hmm. four uh, per session, so eight per week. Again, this is just an example. And then that the crankiness might resolve, and uh, you may be able to maintain your um, uh, strength uh, better there. Um, now, let's say that you start to feel really tired. Um, it's getting a drag, getting out of bed. You're kind of dreading going to the gym. You're sore everywhere. Well, in that case, you might consider just globally reducing volume everywhere. Um, not necessarily everywhere, everywhere, but you might consider lopping off a set or two um, per movement per mm-hmm. week. Um, actually. But let's let's make it even simpler. You may consider slashing one set from each of your exercises, mm-hmm. barring perhaps the isolation uh, work. So your main compound movements um, in each session. That would just be one very simple way of going about it. This is uh, the basis of how I tend to think about these things. The training program itself does not need to. Um, radically change from Mm -hmm. a cut to a bulk phase because what your body needs hasn't really changed you need to tell it to hold on to that muscle mass Um, and that signal to hold on to the muscle mass when you're in a calorie surplus is the same signal to grow Um, it's just the the what you're fueling your body with the amount is different so it it can't Um, and then when it comes to cardio i would just say that is one way of addressing calorie balance, it tends to be a fairly inefficient method for doing so. And uh, yeah, uh, it's it's something that should be used uh, sparingly because it's much easier to control your mouth than it is to... It's much easier to not have the uh, 400 calorie frappuccino than it is to spend um, 50 minutes running um, for the equivalent energy burn. Uh, if you're lucky, uh, might be more than that. Um, so while you can add cardio in, uh, do it sparingly. And one thing I know that you're a fan of this as well, or I believe you're a fan of this as well, uh, it's just keeping up a minimum step count if you can uh, as you cut just so that your overall um, energy expenditure is is kind of maintained. Because when we are in a calorie deficit, um, you know, we're in an energy deficit. Um, we tend to get lazier. We're not necessarily aware of it. Our step counts can plummet, and then that can make us, force us to reduce food even further and further. Mm-hmm. So by purposefully keeping a step count up, it can really help uh, make the diet um, more manageable because you're able to continue to eat more um, as the diet progresses. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I mean, some people don't realize how how much of an impact that can have. Um, and it happens pretty quickly. At least I've seen with some clients how just upping, upping that step count within a week, you start to see a response. 
Um, okay. You have a hard stop. Cause I know we're time flew. This is a good conversation. We're, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been an hour. So, um, maybe just one more question or two. Sure. Yeah. 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 Sure. Um, I wanted to ask you, what are you most proud of in your coaching career? Mm. Uh, so I get pride. Pride's a tricky one. Uh, I like to think that the website is a good thing. It as in, I'm proud of the website because there are many ways that I could have sold out to have many millions of dollars in the bank, but I chose not to because I wanted to do a good thing. And that's important to me. I want people to stumble across it and, you know, just feel grateful for it and to be uh, one of the voices in the industry that, you, you know, one of the few people in our corner of the industry that's, you know, really uh, doing right by people. Now, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of people that are um, good in this industry. It's just that the the charlatans, the, the bad ones, they tend to stick out, right? Uh, just because of how the algorithms work. So I think if I, I think about my career generally, it's probably just uh, the website and, and uh, putting, trying to put out good quality information and not cluttering it up and then the, the impact that that has. Because you know, while I'm sleeping, that is positively impacting many people's lives and continues to do so. So it's not really about who I've worked with or what I've done while working with people. It's about um, what the website is able to do. And then as a product of that, I, you know, a small percentage of people decide to click the coaching page, uh, read through, decide that it's for them, and then have, start a conversation and maybe hire me. And it's been a pleasure and honor to work with um, so many people. Um, so it's, it's all of that combined, yeah. really. I, I love that answer, right? Because the web, if you just said the website, right, people want to know more because that it's it's just this thing out there that you've built, right? But um, it reminds me of a science fiction book I read years ago where humanity was going to collapse and they had to figure out how to how to encode all of our knowledge. And they're like, what's the one medium we can put it in? And it was stone, like carving on stone and putting it on Pluto or something, right? Oh. And um, a website, as mundane as it sounds, like you've put your heart and soul into it and there's a level of integrity there. You you said you want people to feel grateful, and I'm sure they thank you all the time, and and I I do as well. So you've been making that impact. Love that answer. Uh, it, it's just good. it's not that I want people to feel grateful. Uh, I know that's not okay. what you meant, uh, well, but, but well, like I, that's I want, what I wrote on my notes that you said yeah. I probably miswrote. It. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I want people to yeah. to to um, feel that this is something that they can trust. Uh, they can put it into practice. That they can just use it and not need to pay anything. And um, I think this just puts out, you know, good vibes in the world and those things come back. And then worst case, if everything goes tits up, um, I, you know, I've, I've got beer credits in many different cities around the world and then potentially even couches yeah. to sleep on. So, yeah, well, you know, still they're going to, they're going to have gratitude because they are able to get that from your website. So that's all I'm <laughs> going to say, Either whether you are saying that or not. Um, all right. So second to last question, 
you knew this was coming. Is there yeah. any question you wish I had asked and what is your answer? No, I, I th- you've done a great job. I said at the start of this off the air, like uh, you're a good interviewer. You know me and you knew what to ask. And yeah, no, there's, there's nothing. Cool. Appreciate it. That's a good enough answer for me. Um, where do you want listeners to find your work? In case we didn't talk about your website enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. No, no, I don't, uh, I don't mean that as a dig at all. I'm just saying people should know my now. Ripbody.com. But is there anywhere exactly, else? <laughs> exactly. That's it. Um, yeah. If you want to okay. uh, follow along on Instagram, it's uh, Andy underscore ripped body. Um, but uh, the detailed stuff is all on, mm-hmm. it's all on the website. Um, the Instagram is um, some short reels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to put the detailed information I have on the site into short reel form, but it's really tricky and I much prefer writing. Um, yeah. And then in the stories, it's more just kind of like life in Japan and um, <clears throat> kind of what I do day to day here. So, yeah. Yeah. No, the reels yeah. are good because they're just, you know, uh, how to. Every day it's like a how to, right? You had one recently about um, weight fluctuations and how to experiment on yourself to see how much it fluctuates, right? Like right. eat this way, see how much it fluctuates. Right, uh, weigh right. yourself like before and after bed, see how much it fluctuates. So good stuff like that. All right, website, IG, I'm going to add all the links, of course, in the show notes. I appreciate everything. I appreciate your time and also listening to my show at a time. That's, that's an honor to me. It was cool to have you on. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. And thank you listeners uh, for uh, taking the time. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wits and Weights. If you found value in today's episode and know someone else who's looking to level up their wits or weights, please take a moment to share this episode with them. And make sure to hit the follow button in your podcast platform right now to catch the next episode. Until then, stay strong. Hey, before you go, I want to let you know about a free resource I have. They are free guides on everything from fat loss to eating out to building muscle to managing hunger to figuring out the best macros for you and more being added all the time. You want to get the most out of these podcasts and your time to look and feel your best. And these free guides will give you a quick and easy way to know what to do. If you want to get your hands on these completely free guides, you can head over to witsandweights.com slash free. That's witsandweights.com slash free to get your free guides and level up your results today.